3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, George, and Anya. It is Tuesday, the 2nd of April. We've got a pretty packed show, as always. Good morning, Anya. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, George? Yeah, pretty good. I was just saying we have a pretty packed show. We do. We do. Um, Who do we have first? We have the incredible Fury, who's um, in the studio with us right now, but we will get to them in a bit to talk about their new book, um, which is really, 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 really awesome. Cool. We'll get to that in a, in a second. Yeah. And then... Then I'm speaking with Matt DiLorenzo, who will be talking about um, a refugee in unsure detention whose name is Rajan, about uh, his recent diagnosis with cancer and uh, the 10 years that he spent in detention and the fight around getting him released. Mm. And then we have Roxy Moore from Change the Record talking about um, the ALRC report on Indigenous incarceration and how it's been a year since that report was released and pretty much nothing has happened and why that is in the way forward. And finally... And finally, we'll be talking to Joel Clark from Amnesty, who's joining us discuss, to discuss the Northern Territory government's Youth Justice Amendment Bill that has come through this year that uh, basically involves a lot of changes that are pretty detrimental to the health and safety of um, people in youth justice. Mm. And so she's going to talk about why that's a huge mistake Mm. and why we need to know about it. Yeah. Usually at this time we'd have Chris Woods from Crikey doing the news headlines, but Chris is sick, unfortunately. So I thought maybe maybe we can talk about your... your, um, Q&A appearance last night. (laughs) God. (laughs) So for listeners who tuned in yesterday, Georgie Maxwell, (laughs) our very own Georgie Maxwell was on Q&A asking a very important question about the New Start, um, how the allowance for New Start hasn't increased in the last 25 years. Yeah, shocking. Wearing a t-shirt that said, (laughs) no prisons, no supremacy, which... No racism. No racism, which you got a little bit of flack for on the internet, but... It was going... Yeah, I couldn't... I was was like, I need to go to bed, but I kept wanting to read the comments (laughs) about, like... I guess that's the whole point, though, isn't it? Some really funny things, though. I wonder if I have, um, like, let's see an example. Just... One person said, what is her solution to prisons? Capital punishment? But they didn't put the T at the end, so it just says punish men. <laughs> Classic. I mean, sure. Um, what else did people say? Or someone said that they were into it. They were like, her shirt is so straight to the point, and it's not messing around. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I can't take credit for the question because that was written by the Tuesday Breakfast team. 
So it was a group effort. It was a group effort, but yes. you executed it really, really well. I was very nervous. I just have to talk about one comment. I know we, we shouldn't, you know, get hung up on the comment. Which, which bit? Um, about how, you know, your question about New Start Allowance, and then someone said, oh, that's Are people working too much? <laughs> or or no. people not looking for jobs. And then someone um. pointed out the statistics being like, that this many people who are unemployed and there are this many jobs, it just doesn't match up. And then immediately someone else was like, it's immigration's fault. Just stop people Who from coming said in. that? I think I missed that. Bit. It was on the Facebook or um, Twitter page. Oh, gotcha. I see. And I, I was see. like, I was just waiting. I'm never disappointed by yeah. <laughs> by the people here. Yeah. It is. I mean, I think it's kind of... I, I'm trying to watch Q&A more just because I tutor journalism, so I want to know what is the kind of the sort of the parameters of public mainstream public mm. debate but it, i'm always so furious and yelling at the tv i can't ha- i get anxious like mm. i can't handle it but it, it is you know even with my question they they changed things like they they said i couldn't say the very opening oh. bit which wasn't a controversial bit necessarily right. they said that i had to i put up a 3cr poster in the background <laughs> and they said they take it down because no one would be able to read it or they had these you know i don't know it's just like, do people know that all of this kind of um, curating, curating yeah. happens in the background, and that what if I wanted to ask a really like radical question? Mm. Would they let? Would they allow that? I'm surprised they let you wear that t-shirt on TV. Me too. To be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, probably more ratings for them. Yeah, potentially. Mm. So interesting. Anyway, so you're a star now. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> How exciting. A time in the limelight. Mm. (laughs) So shall we play a song first? Yeah. We can jump into the first interview. Yes, let's do that. Um, I'd really like to play a track by um, an artist uh, whose name is Tiara Wack. And I think I want to play the track um, They Call Me. Uh, But I just wanted to share a little bit about her. Um, her. She actually has a debut EP out called... Meg Halaya, mm-hmm. uh, which is um, an Indian term, um, and it's from the land of the Kazi people, whose name Tiana proudly bears, and one of the few remaining matriarchal societies on planet Earth. Um, and so I actually don't have a track from that new EP app, but maybe we can play one later. I think this is an older one. Um, it's called They Call Me. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Uh, just a clarification, that track was by Tianakazi and it is from her new EP, Meg Halaya, and the track is called They Call Me. That was beautiful. Thanks, Georgie. For listeners tuning in, this is Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with George and myself, Anya. Next up, we have an interview with the incredible Fury. Now, Fury, I know you've sent me a couple of bios, but I thought maybe I'll just let you introduce yourself, <laughs> however you want. <laughs> uh, the reason that Anya's letting me do this is that all of my bios are slightly weird. <laughs> That's uh, not true. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're well-loved for their weirdness. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a poet pri- um, primarily. That's sort of how I got into writing. And um, I've sort of done journalism, I've done 
bit of playwriting, bit of screenwriting, but um, my latest venture this last year, I've been uh, hermited away in my in my house making a graphic novel or a graphic memoir mm. um, called "I Don't Understand How Emotions Work." So mm. that's my latest foray. Mm. An all-around superstar, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, without giving too much away, what is this book about? So the basic premise of the book is. Um, well, if, if who we are is based on our memories, and if our memories are corruptible, um, then what does that say about the legitimacy of our identities? Mm. And um, I don't sort of, I me- mention it in the book, but there's this great um, scientist called Elizabeth Loftus who's um, studied this extensively, and something, in something like 30% of uh, cases, she can actually insert a false memory into someone's mind. Mm. So that's how corruptible our memories are, mm. and... You know, by by virtue of just us revisiting our memories each time we do so, we change them. Mm. Um, and so it's it's sort of investigating this premise um, in terms of yeah, I guess just questioning how um, firm we are. Like we we consider ourselves a singular being, a consistent being, um, but in reality we're just always in flux. Mm. And so that's really what it's sort of um, what it's looking at. Mm. And how did this book come about? Was there a particular inspiring moment or? Yeah, so the original sort of pitch was quite different. I had a small segment that I ended up not using at all. But um, so the title's called I Don't Understand How Emotions Work. Mm. And it's because uh, a while ago I had my heart broken for the first time. I was quite late to the game. Mm. Um, I was probably 25. Mm. And uh, I figured that I realized that the closer I was to her, the worse I felt. Um, therefore, by you know, ration and logic, the further I got away, the better I would feel. Um, so I just blew all my savings and I went to New York for a week thinking, mm. this is going to be great. I'm not going to feel bad. Uh, turns out emotions don't work like that. Mm. And I was just heartbroken in New York. Um, and so that's sort of when I realized that I, d- I don't understand how this works. <laughs> I don't understand how emotions work. Mm. Um, and so that was the premise of it. But as I started writing it, turning it into like a long form thing, um, it sort of drifted from that and it became this other sort of more experimental work. Mm. And I was going to ask about the style as well. It's a mm. graphic memoir. Like why mm. this particular style? I, I don't, I mean, Dali says, you know, uh, just because I create, just because I don't know the meaning of something when I create it doesn't mean it has no meaning. Mm. And I think that that's the same sort of thing that's happened with this. I don't know why it had to be graphic memoir, but uh, that's just how it was. And now I look at it, it kind of makes sense. Mm. Um, so I, gr- I came up in poetry, as I said, and... Mm. Um, uh, there's a, there's a real poetry to to graphic novels because mm. the the meaning isn't in the words and it's not in the images it's in the conversation that happens between the two of those things mm. that's where the meaning lives and um i think that that's kind of beautiful for like it, it ties into this idea of consciousness and subconsciousness and um emotions and logic and all this sort of stuff the meanings created in the conversation between the two things mm. um and that's you know very pertinent to what to what the book's sort of about yeah. And it's sort of, I mean, I've read it and reread it a couple of times now, and every time it, there's a different meaning to it. Mm. And I'm not sure if it's because of the imagery or, like you said, the conversation between words and images, but that really certainly has made a difference. Mm. Um, it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I find that interesting. So one of the things, I had this big spiel that I was going to include in the beginning, uh, talking about how 
um, you know, we're different people day to day. Mm. And so every time you read the book, you'll be a different person coming to it. So your mm. experience of it will be different. Yeah. And it's a very strange thing to have something fixed in time like a book is, but also outside of time, you know, because it's been written in the past, but it's being read in the present. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's sort of, there's, there's segments of it that sort of signpost what you're about to read. Mm. And so it's like, in, it's both in and outside of time. Mm. And so it makes sense that every time you read it, you'll have a different experience. Is that it. how you feel as well? I know it's written, I guess, sort of in your past, mm. but now when you read it, is that juxtaposition weird well so that so the interesting thing with this is that um i it's completely unverified so it's only from my memory it's only recreated mm. from my memory mm. and i think that that's um you know it, it, it's interesting in terms of um again the idea of non-fiction and fiction because mm. um, it's a, i guess a semi semi-fictionalized version of myself but all memories are semi-fictionalized versions mm. of ourselves mm. because of the way the memory fluxes and so it's a it's a specific comment on the idea of um, non-fiction and fiction and the idea of legitimacy and illegitimacy and truth mm. and lies you know because mm. is it really a lie if that's how you remembered it you know so mm. and the book deals with a lot of things. <laughs> One of the things that it deals with is the tension between, you know, navigating memories as they are versus having to fit them into a diagnostic framework mm. to be able to access treatment mm. for, for trans and gender diverse for folk. Mm. Um, can you talk to me about that, both in terms of your personal journey, navigating mm. that sort of medical framework, but also as a general comment about the hoops the trans and gender diverse community have to jump through mm. to access treatment? Mm. Yes, yeah, so there's like this weird vicious cycle that goes on where the medical establishment has these benchmarks um, of how of essentially meeting how trans you are um, to, to access treatment and that reinforces so trans people are then have to see themselves through this this framework and that reinforces this idea of legitimacy and illegitimacy mm. and so they get anxious which um like regardless of intention it alters how we see ourselves and how we frame ourselves and how we sort of go through our memories and so when we go and oftentimes when we go to get diagnosed we already know what we want um, at least in my experience mm. of my generation, it may be different for older generation. But um, so we go into it knowing what we want, knowing the questions they're going to ask. Mm. And so there's this um, sort of like a Schrodinger's question, mm. because as soon as they ask a question, our data, the information that we're giving them is tainted purely by asking the question. Mm. They're sort of tainting the, the, the data that they're seeking. And so it's just this this awful sort of um, corruption. I, I feel like my memories have sort of been sacrificed to access access this because I had to comb back through and think of my childhood in terms of gender dysphoria, and I didn't like that's you know trans wasn't a word that I used as, for myself as a kid. I just was, yeah. and so now it has this label on it, um, and so. Yeah, it's it's just this very complicated, difficult um, framework that I don't think the medical establishment has an awareness of because they're mostly cis, mostly straight, mm -hmm. mostly white. And so they just have this um, have these benchmarks and have these sort of understandings that aren't, aren't applicable. But it, the good thing is, is that 
um, there are more uh, GPs who are just doing sort of um, consent-based, educated mm-hmm. um, consent, mm-hmm. um, which means that you don't have to go through a psychiatrist, essentially, mm-hmm. to get access. And that's sort of what we need. We just need to lean lean towards giving community more, um, just trusting that they know who they are, mm-hmm. essentially, and that they know what they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't, then making that space an okay thing to sort of engage with. Yeah. Yeah. And not having to you know, put them in boxes because part Mm. of what I was reading, um, you know, the questions about, you know, being male or female Mm. and if this is how you feel, then this is the body, you know, Mm. you have to feel a certain way to be able to transition um, from one one gender to another Mm. using quotation marks. People can't see this is radio. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I thought that was really interesting, especially Mm. with, um, I mean, it was the trans day of visibility very recently. Mm. There's lots of conversation about, how you don't have to medically transition mm. to be trans, mm. but to be able to do that, you have to fit into these boxes. Yeah, and there's, it's interesting. So the dysphoria is really the medical framework of how trans pe- people see themselves and how people see trans trans people. But there's um, this new sort of concept, and I was part of a um, I was part of a performance mm. uh, earlier on um, called Gender Euphoria, mm. and that was really about um, that was all about uh, redefining a trans experience away from this medical framework and the concept that you don't have to have dysphoria to be trans. It can be that you're just seeking this thing out because it makes you feel good, yeah. not because you're trying to counter a bad feelings. It's because you're seeking yeah. out what feels good. Yeah. Hmm. That's, that's a very interesting point. Thanks. Hmm. <laughs> and I know it's only been a couple of days since your launch. Mm. Uh, when was it? Thursday. Thursday, yeah, yeah. 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 But how has the response been? It's been good, actually, really mm. good. Um, I, yeah, people who have been reading it, people I didn't expect, like, because I've sort of written it for trans folk, um, really. That's been my target audience. And people have been responding really well to it, which has been I mean, kind of a relief, mm. um, but also unexpected. Mm. I didn't expect us people to to get it and get the emotions behind it so much. Um, but yeah, it's 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 nice. Yeah, people have been responding really well to it. Yeah, it's beautiful, and I think you know, I was reading it and I was thinking this should be in every every person's home, but also generally in medical settings, especially mm-hmm. um, because it's it's so. It's such a universal experience, but also not, mm. you know? Mm. Anyway, it's great. And the launch was so beautiful as well. Thank you. Oh, it was such a great event. So how do people get their hands on this book? Well, so uh, you can head to furymakes.bigcartel.com mm-hmm. and get one mailed out to you. Um, there's also a couple at All Star Comics in Melbourne, and I am speaking to... Um, some independent booksellers. Um, Amazing. So I have had some interest. So if you are interested in getting a copy and want to buy one from your local bookstore, then just um, get in touch with them and ask them, you know, where, where it's at. And yeah. um, I'll, I'll see if I can't get one out. One out, one out to them or one out to you. Oh, beautiful. And there was a video that you played at your launch mm-hmm. um, that was sort of a, like a short animated version of a, yeah. of a section in the book. Yeah, so I worked with a great uh, animator called Juliette Rowe and um, she translated a small portion into um, animated form, which is, is great. Sort of, uh, She just nailed it. It's sort of experimental and weird 
um, just like the book is. Um, but yeah. It was beautiful, and um, we'll post it on Facebook for listeners, but I also thought we could just play it on radio and just use your imagination for now. Hi, Fury. Hi. Thank you for coming in. Not like I have much choice in the matter. Well, thank you anyway. You're welcome. So this questionnaire... Which one? The one that helps us figure out if you're trans or a butch lesbian. Oh, yes. You skipped one of the questions. Which one? Oh, the one that asks, how do you feel about having sex like a woman? Ah, oh, yes. Can I ask why you skipped it? Well, when you can tell me what sex like a woman looks like, I will be able to tell you how I feel about it. And if you do go on hormones, how will you feel about having more masculine traits? How do you mean? A receding hairline, a lower voice, facial hair. Are you saying women don't have facial hair? Are you saying you don't think facial hair is masculine? I'm not saying I can't comprehend that society perceives facial hair as masculine. I'm saying that facial hair, a low voice, they're not inherently masculine. Plenty of women have those things and they define femininity as much as anyone. So what you're saying is... What I'm saying is whatever form my body takes will be non-binary because I'm non-binary. In December 2017, Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community, was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanya Day's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. March 16, the Sentani region of Jayapura in West Papua was hit by massive flooding and landslides, killing at least 89 people, with more than 6,000 people evacuated from their home. 74 people are missing and 159 have been injured. This disaster is the result of torrential rain coupled with devastations of the mountains, also poor waste management, polluting and clogging waterways, leading to flash flooding and mudslides. At this time, West Popong people need your help more than ever. Help us. Reach our goal to raise $10,000 to provide emergency supplies, food, first aid, nappies, baby food and milk formula. All money raised will go directly to Yayasan Abdi Budaya Nusantara a foundation facilitating the evacuation camp in Sentani, West Papua. 
donate online at https project flood relief for West Papua. West Papuan people need you. It's time to help and don't make them feel alone. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Just before the couple of um, community service announcements, we were listening to a short video um, that was an excerpt of Fury's book. Um, just wanted to come back and say thank you for coming into the studio. Thank you for having me. It was beautiful. And uh, listener's request, can you repeat uh, where to get your book from again? Sure. Furymakes.bigcartel.com Beautiful. And we'll put that up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our usual social media. That's also a shameless plug for everyone to follow us on these, <laughs> on these platforms. You can multitask. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's good. <laughs> thank you so much for coming in, Fury. Thank you for having me. We're going to go to our next interview now. We've got Matt DiLorenzo on the line, who is a volunteer at the Immigration Detention Centre. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. That's all right. Thank you. So you're here to talk to us about Rajan, who is a Tamil refugee that's been kept in onshore detention. Can you tell us a bit about his case, his story? Yeah, so um, Rajan arrived in Australia um, at the end of 2009 um, after the um, end of the Sri Lankan Civil War um, and he was found to be um, a refugee um, back in 2010 um, when he was um, in detention then but um, was also given a um, negative security clearance by ASIO um, along with um, about 55 other um, Tamil refugees. Um, why did that happen? So why, what, what, well, yeah, why would that have happened for them? Why did that happen? Yeah. That's, a, that's a really good question. Yeah. Um, look, we don't, we don't um, fully know um, why um, they chose to, to give um, those people um, negative security clearances. They claimed that um, they were um, potential threats um, to the Australian public because of their links to the um, Tamil Tigers, who were the resistance force uh, fighting in the Civil War. Um, and, yeah, we're not mm. um, sure exactly why those people were given negative security clearances because um, there are many other um, refugees with... Um, yeah, differing levels of links to the to the Tamil Tigers um, who have received refugee status before and have been granted permanent protection in Australia. Mm. And so, and then after that, so he's been held on Christmas Island and then Villawood, is that correct? Yeah, Christmas yeah. Island and then Villawood. Um, and then the last three years he's been in, um, in Mitre in Melbourne, mm. uh, in Broadmeadows. Um, so over that, yeah, so this ASIO security um, assessment lasted for six years um, where he was in this state of limbo where he had his refugee status, um, which meant that, you know, he was genuinely owed protection, but he had this negative security clearance, um, which said that, you know, uh, we, we believe that he's a, a danger to, um, yeah, to Australia, and so he, he couldn't be let out of detention, and there was kind of no formal process um, in place to, to do anything about that, and he was kind of um, stuck in indefinitely in detention mm. um, until there was a lot of pressure put on to, to reassess 
um, those security assessments. Um, and so um, at the end of the six years, it, all of those um, 50, 55 odd um, individuals were, were reassessed and found not to be um, security threats, every single one of them. So I don't know what that says mm. about those original assessments, but... Um, well, it means clearly yeah. they've made a, a mistake that has resulted in people being kept in that limbo stage for years which is pretty, you know, obviously extremely detrimental to people's health and well-being over a mistake. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think, um, yeah, I don't know, making the same mistake for 55 individual cases, because they're not linked cases, supposedly, um, is kind of um, very bizarre and coincidental. Mm. So, um, yeah, so after... After those six years, um, he was then required to make another um, protection application um, for his refugee status. Um, and following that, his his case was rejected. Um, and he has now launched um, an appeal with AAT um, and has been waiting for the past nine months um, for his appeal to be heard and um, to get an outcome and has just two weeks ago been diagnosed with leukaemia. So, um, and that's that's where we're at at the moment. Yeah. And so all up, how long has he been in detention? Um, so nine years and however many months, four months, five mm. months, yeah. And this is, you know, obviously the recent diagnosis um, is, uh, you know, one significant health uh, issue that he's experiencing, but this isn't the first in terms of his mental health and well-being in detention. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. There's been, um, yeah, the Commonwealth um, Ombudsman along with IMHMS. IHMS um, have been recommending um, for, for years for you know um, speedy processing for um, you know the release into the community while he's being processed um, due to um, yeah severe um, yeah for, for mental health yeah. um, concerns. I mean I don't think it takes a psychologist no. or a, you know, anyone to to say that you know being locked up um, without knowing when you're going to be released is going to be detrimental to your Absolutely, and that term detention fatigue, I think, I read in that mm. in the media release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially, I guess, if you've come from, um, you know, experiencing war or conflict, are you getting adequate counselling and support around those experiences? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, he's definitely, um, you know, he could write you know, 10 books about his life and, and the things that he's been through. And I think, yeah, the, that combination of just, yeah, being locked up and, mm. and having that trauma history and, and all those sorts of things is, um, yeah, and then compounded with, you know, it's difficult for anyone to deal with a diagnosis of um, leukaemia, but mm. added on to, to all of those other things, um, yeah, the stress and the, the, the mental fatigue that that, that brings is, Gonna just make, you know, the the disease deteriorate um, his body even faster. Yeah, and so what's the steps f- 
from now in terms of, um, you know, in terms of having cancer, what is there the chance that they might move him out of detention so that he can access treatment or what what is going to happen? Um, so, so far that has not been um, mentioned by um, anyone from immigration. Um, so that's kind of what we're, we're asking for. That's what the, the petition um, we've launched is for and that's what we're going to be calling people to, um, yeah, to, to write letters and to um, call you know, David Coleman and call Scott Morrison and, and request that um, for his case because, um, yeah, that's what we feel needs to happen um, mm. for him. Okay, so let's, yeah, let's um, talk about that a little bit more in terms of mm. what the public can do to support this. So you think, like, firstly writing and contacting David Coleman and Scott Morrison, that's one approach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so... Um, we're going to be putting out a, a template letter that you can, um, you know, adjust and, and send to them. Um, you know, we're going to encourage people to, to call their offices and, you know, um, ask, you know, what's happening with this case? Why hasn't it, you know, why hasn't it been processed? And, you know, why isn't he being let out during during this time? Mm. Um, and, yeah, encouraging people to call their local MPs and, and yeah. raise it with them and say, you know, whatever... You know, whatever side of politics you're on, I think we can all agree that we're all um, against cancer. So I think it's it's a pretty reasonable ask to say, yeah. you know, this person deserves to be able to be supported by their by their friends in the community um, during this time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen the action around Priya and Nadis that have been mm. in detention um, for quite a while now as well, and the the ways that has delayed. Them being deported, I guess we don't know is that exactly what the outcome will be, but it does demonstrate that if enough people get behind, um, you know, a particular person being kept in detention, then it can definitely have some, you know, some outcomes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and, yeah, oh, my gosh, Priya Nardis' case is, is um, yeah, is a terrifying tale um, what what our government can do to to, to a family and two little mm-hmm. girls and I think yeah pe- people need to know more about that sort of stuff because it's um, yeah it's it, it's hard to go in there and see those, those two little girls um, still locked up but yeah um, it is great that we have been able to stop their deportation um, and yeah hopefully that will continue to to be challenged and. and we can overturn their case as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's probably important to mention, I think this is something that RISE talk about a lot, it's not just people with um, experiencing mental health or other health concerns or children that should be released from detention. It's obviously everyone that is being kept in Mm. offshore and onshore detention. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's yeah, it's not yeah, it's not just um, yeah, children that we need to feel sorry for. It's also yeah, parents and you know these everyone they're people, right? Like it's it's not you know we feel bad for people who um, yeah are experiencing trouble, mm. not just children. And I think um, yeah, you know the, the shortest amount of time most of the people in detention now is about five years, which is in, an incredibly long. Um, amount of time to to be locked up and not have any sense of when you will be released. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll, we'll share 
the link to the petition, I think, sorry, I actually did yesterday, but once those uh, template letters come through, we'll also share those and, and, yeah, hopefully we'll see some really big support around that. Yeah, yeah, we've got our own um, Facebook page now, just a free Rajan. Um, you can also follow the hashtag free Rajan as well and, and we'll be posting updates on that and we'll be um, sending out updates to um, our supporters on, on change as well. Um, okay, so good. Those are the best places to be following us. Okay, well, well, we'll watch that closely. Thank you very much for your time this morning, Matt. Thank you so much. We appreciate, like, you mob and all the people coming and visit us and doing stuff like this, you know. It's very good. It keeps a positive mindset in our mind, you know, and we really appreciate it. Because of her we can, yeah. I want to be a better, better man, yeah. Because of her we can. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates across Victoria. You can listen to audio from this year and previous years online anytime. How do you rehabilitate someone? They just put you in a cell and tell you this is how long you're going to do and it's meant to rehabilitate you, you know. Rehabilitation starts when you get out. That's when your life begins again, doesn't it? In here, your life's on hold. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Or if you'd like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 when I first come to this jail, it was about 10 years ago, and, and I was a young one. A whole heap of young ones come off the truck there the other day, and, and they call me Auntie Marlene, so it helped me recognise and realise that I like, pulled myself up like, yeah, they're starting to look up to me, so I've got to represent and do the right thing now. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. Like an ancestor, you'll know way back when. Marxism 2019 is Australia's biggest socialist conference, taking place this Easter long weekend from April the 18th to the 21st in Melbourne. Marxism 2019 features international and local guest speakers, including award-winning author and activist Baruz Buchani. Join over 1,000 activists for crucial discussions on how to resist the rise of the right and rebuild the left. With more than 100 sessions, tickets start at just $35 and are available at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. for human rights, indigenous sovereignty and climate justice. Our destination is Manus Island. Join us for the Freedom Flotilla. Sailforjustice.org. Get on board. A 3CR supporter. Are you passionate about films, interested in cultural diversity or wanting to get exposure for your own film? The Indonesian Film Festival is just around the corner with our main events running from March the 23rd to April the 10th. There will be free film screenings, panel discussions and for filmmakers there's the short film competition. This year's theme is The Unknown. 
and film submissions close on the 3rd of March. What are you waiting for? Go and check it out. The Indonesian Film Festival, IFFAustralia.com, a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with George and myself, Anya. That was a brilliant song, George. What was that? Um, So that is by my favourite artist at the moment for Hayo, and the track is called Pounce. And before that, we had 1,000 Years by... Yeah, at the start. Yeah, we did. And then we had, uh, after that, Colleen Alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, who we had on the show a few weeks ago, who's... Incredible, and that track is called Generations, featuring Lil Dea. Beautiful. And next up, we have an interview with Roxanne Moore um, from Change the Record. Um, Roxanne is joining us to talk about the ALRC report on um, Indigenous incarceration. Roxanne Moore is a Noongar woman and human rights lawyer from Margaret River in Western Australia. She's currently working as the principal advisor at the Change the Record Coalition and also for the National Peak Body on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services. Previously, Roxanne was an Indigenous rights campaigner with Amnesty International Australia. Prior to this, Roxanne worked for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner at the Australian Human Rights Commission. She has worked as a principal associate to the um, Honorary Chief Justice Wayne Martin ACQC as a commercial litigator and has international experience with UNHCR Jordan and New York University's Global Justice Clinic. Roxanne studied law at the University of Western Australia and completed a Master's of Law in International Legal Studies at NYU, specialising in human rights law as a 2013 Fulbright Western Australian scholar. Incredible, incredible lawyer and human rights advocate, and we're so happy to have her join us today on Tuesday Breakfast. Thank you for joining us today, Roxanne. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Roxanne, can you start by talking about what um, exactly is the ALRC Pathways Inquiry and what that was in response to? Sure. Um, so listeners might remember um, several years ago the um, horrific footage that came out of Dondale Youth Prison in the Northern Territory. Mm-hmm. Um, this was exposed in a Four Corners report and it showed... Um, young Aboriginal people being tortured, um, you know, hoods over their heads, restrained, strapped to a, ch- strapped to a chair, gassed. Um, and this led to a National Royal... Com- uh, sorry, a Northern Territory Royal Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there was a huge response to this in terms of this is not just a Northern Territory issue, this is a national issue. And this led to... Um, Malcolm Turnbull at the time, um, his government referring this to the Australian Law Reform Commission for an inquiry into the over-incarceration of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So our people are the the most incarcerated people in the world Mm. and this report clearly sets out um, solutions that can be put in place by the government to end this human rights injustice. Mm. However, um, it's been one year and the government has completely ignored the report. 
Mm. And what are some of the main um, findings and recommendations from this report? Well, the main findings of the report are, are solutions like justice reinvestment, so about the government putting um, more focus into strengthening communities and um, addressing the sort of key drivers of um, forcing Aboriginal people into prisons like um, poverty, like mm. um, housing, like family violence, like mental health disability, um, and also the the racial discrimination that results in our people ending up in prison. So it also talks to um, the discriminatory laws that need to be reformed, things like mandatory sentencing, mm. um, un- imprisonment for unpaid fines, um, things like police accountability. Mm. So it's a whole range really comprehensive of really clear solutions that can be put in place now right across the country um, yet we're seeing complete inaction and just disregard from the federal government. Mm. And um, like you mentioned it's been a year since the report has been out and it looks like the government hasn't actioned anything. Um, Why do you think that has happened? Well, I think this is a a big question that Australia needs to ask itself. Like, Mm -hmm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the most incarcerated people in the world. And if this was happening to non-Indigenous children, Mm -hmm. non-Indigenous women, um, would there be this same response and disregard? Um, You know, I would would say no. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, but this is like... This is part of who we are as Australian is that we are um, comfortable with the fact that we are allowing 2% of the population, our First Nations people, um, the oldest living culture in the world, to be locked up at 28% of the prison population. And this is not um, about the anything to do with um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. This is about the legacy of invasion, colonisation in this country. It is about um, the, the justice system having been set up to always be stacked against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Mm. And for us grappling with this as a nation and taking it on ourselves to um, rectify these injustices by making the system fair. Mm. And how, I guess for listeners listening to this interview, how can they push for change? What can we do? So I think that, you know, we're we're coming up to a federal election. Um, Constantly what we're hearing from this government is that they don't think that they have a responsibility to act on this issue. Um, They try to push it on to the states and territories. So I would be encouraging people to call their local federal member and tell them that they are appalled at the... um, that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the most incarcerated people in the world Mm. and that they think that the federal government needs to implement the Australian Law Reform Commission report. Um, I think that it would be great if if we could get more support for the work that we're doing. Um, Change the Record is an Aboriginal-led coalition. Um, We've also... we 
as part of our coalition, we have um, human rights organisations as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we've got you know the National Peak Body for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Services and First Peoples Disability Network, Family Violence Prevention Forum, but also you know Amnesty Law Council, um, Oxfam. Um, so. Um, Please follow us on Twitter. Um, we're change underscore record. Um, we're changerecord.org.au on Facebook. Um, this week we're going to be launching a petition in response to the federal budget um, that's coming out tonight. Um, so please get involved. Call your member. Follow us online. And um, this is on all of us to um, to to create a brighter future for the next generation of. Aboriginal people. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Roxanne. And maybe the next time we talk, there would have been some action on the government's part, and we can talk about that. I hope so. Thanks for having me. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. In December 2017, Tanya Day, proud Yorta Yorta woman and much-loved member of the Aboriginal community, was travelling by train to Melbourne. When V-Line staff found her asleep, they called Castlemaine Police and she was removed from the train and charged with public drunkenness. Tanya died 17 days later as a result of head injuries sustained while in custody. This would never have happened had the recommendations of the 2001 Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody been implemented. Tanyuday's family is calling for the crime of public drunkenness to be abolished and for the implementation of genuine community health alternatives to incarceration. Please add your support by signing the petition at 3CR Reception, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or online by entering Tanya Day Petition into your browser. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with myself, George, and Anya. So just between now and our next interview, we wanted to chat about a couple of things. Firstly, we want to talk about Trans Day of Visibility that happened on Sunday. Mm. 
And I guess I had some things I wanted to share about the rally, but did you also want to speak about what the day represents before we get into that? Yeah, um, I guess, you know, International Trans Day of Visibility, maybe we'll just start by talking about what it is. So it's an annual event that happens on the 31st of March, um, and it's dedicated to celebrating trans people and raising awareness of discrimination faced by trans people worldwide. Um, And so I guess some people see it as a, what do they call it, vengeance? Trans Day of Vengeance, yes. I did hear that going around in the the hashtag as well, which is cool. Yeah, Yeah. and just remembering the roots of um, the fight for equal rights and Mm. and visibility as well. So, yeah, I missed the rally on Sunday, but how, how was it? It was really powerful. Mm. Yeah. Um, so much to talk about. Mm. The speakers were incredible. Uh, I, um, I'm still trying to like work out who everyone is for potential mm-hmm. um, connections to like radio interviews and things um, just to keep the conversation going. Mm. But uh, one person in particular that I have been in touch with since the rally is Tilda Joy, who is one of the head workers of the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. Mm -hmm. And she was just incredible. I think what was really powerful about all of the speakers was that no one just talked about trans issues. Every single speaker linked it to, like, linked, um, obviously, you know, giving attention to trans people's experiences, but also what trans people's experiences are in relation to capitalism, colonisation, patriarchy, like all of these different power structures. Mm -hmm. And they all made a point of, you know, uh, actually the first speaker whose first name I believe is Laura discussed, uh, who's a First Nations uh, person also involved with the unions, talked about, um, spoke specifically to a First Nations trans experience mm. and then there was other discussions around other kinds of issues to do with white supremacy and colonisation mm. in, in so-called Australia and it was a real kind of, yeah, I mean some of the posters were like queers against fascism, smash the fash, mm. queers revolt, like just these really kind of powerful political messages mm. that link to all of these different political movements or how they kind of overlap mm. and even talking about things like borders and the ways that trans bodies are policed, not just within states but internationally, um, and the challenge, the specific challenges of pr- police brutality. Mm. It was just, yeah, they were just incredible, and it was there was a few things that were mentioned by the speakers that I thought could be good to mention now. Mm-hmm. One is that, and I I want to do more investigation into this, mm. but. Firstly, it was the second rally ever organised by trans groups mm. in so-called Melbourne, yeah, which is pretty huge. The first apparently was one around safe schools. Mm. So that's really significant. However, a lot of apparently, and again, I want to do more research into this, uh, LGBTIQ plus organisations didn't really endorse or support or provide resources for the rally. Mm. So it kind of highlights, I guess, how members within queer communities are still kind of not given the appropriate platforms and Mm. resources that they should get. Mm. And why did that happen? Why wasn't that support there? That's something that I guess is uh, not really publicly known. But Mm. 
it did definitely seem like they a lot of the groups that were there and there were sort of anarchist groups that were involved with it they had to do a lot of that work themselves mm. um and yeah i think that was one of the main things that stuck out to me there and then also i guess in terms of there was the ra- there was the event at hares and hyenas yeah. at the same time mm. but we were talking about afterwards the people that i went with and how uh why wasn't there as a like bigger like um participation from the public mm. why weren't there more people there it was kind of like a bit we were a bit unsure about why that would be mm. but i mean for a start i guess if you have or other organizations backing it and they were talking about how they want the unions to back it more and other organizations to come out and support mm. maybe that's something that will happen next year and then can be built over time mm. absolutely i think at a time where you know trans bodies are more more than ever being policed and um, transphobic policies are being introduced, I think we talked about it a little bit last week on the show um, with some of the things that are happening within the Greens. Yes, yes, definitely. Mm, at a time where all of this is happening, it is very important for people to show solidarity with the trans community, but especially the wider queer community. Yeah. Um, because it seems like, yeah, even in the queer community, trans people are the first people to be thrown under the bus yes. in order to gain more public acceptance of some sort. Yeah, absolutely. And people who don't fit into, you know, binaries or, um, yeah, people who don't fit into the perfect gay mm. model mm. Seem to be thrown under the bus a lot, so that's that's a good reminder to the wider queer community to be more active. And I think that's definitely what we were thinking about. Uh, obviously, and they, the, I think all of the speakers mentioned this. Uh, there are a lot of trans people that wouldn't be able to attend that rally mm, because they absolutely. don't want to be visible, absolutely. or not that they don't want to, but they can't for safety yeah. and all of those factors. Yeah. And that's a very specific thing, I guess, for trans people's identities and experiences. And so given that, it does seem incredibly important for queers to come out in support of that um, or allies to come out in support of that. And perhaps that's something that we need to talk about more and mm. you know, really build that because mm. if, if there are barriers to some people being able to actually be mm. in those public spaces, uh, are other people going to take responsibility for their kind of role within things and, and all of that? Absolutely. I mean, visibility can be a privilege as well. Yeah. And there was a lot of talk on Twitter, you know, amongst trans people about how they they wish they could be out there fighting for this, but they can't because of the inherent dangerous nature of being visible in public. Yeah. Um, And that's a very good point to think about as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to plug um, a couple of things Um, while we're here, just a couple of events to to attend. Um, so there's this event called um, the Rise Rises the um, um, refu- uh, Refugee Survivors and Ex Detainees um, organization that's run entirely by refugees, survivors, and ex detainees. Um, they're doing this event called the Rise Queer Project, which is a, a launch and fundraiser dinner. Um, this is happening. Um, because queer refugees are one of the worst treated groups of people in so-called Australia. And um, Rise Queer Project is a newly established project that uh, that has been running in-house queer support services since 2015. So this is a fundraiser and, um, you know, you can book your tickets at a link, which we will post up on Facebook. 
I'm just trying to figure out when it's happening. It's happening on the 13th of April, which is a Saturday, 6 to 10 p.m. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Um, before we go to our next interview, do you mind if I play a little sec- uh, tiny little clip of Tilda Joy's speech from Sunday? Of course. All right. I'll pop it on now. Struggle. It's your struggle. We can work together. We can get more of the good things in life for everyone, you know. And we need your help there, you know. It's a, I'm a wobbly, so I'm going to leave it on this, you know. But it's this corny old phrase, um, an injury to one is an injury to all, you know. And I want everyone to kind of leave holding that with them today. So, you know, solidarity, comrades. I love you all. So that was just a little section of uh, Tilda Joy speaking on Sunday. Are you passionate about films, interested in cultural diversity or wanting to get exposure for your own film? The Indonesian Film Festival is just around the corner with our main events running from March the 23rd to April the 10th. There will be free film screenings, panel discussions and for filmmakers there's the short film competition. This year's theme is... The Unknown, and film submissions close on the 3rd of March. What are you waiting for? Go and check it out. The Indonesian Film Festival, IFFAustralia.com, a 3CR supporter. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts, and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with myself and Anya. We've got one interview left on today's show. On the line, we've got Joel Clark, who's from Amnesty. Joel joins us on the line to discuss Amnesty International's position on why the Northern Northern Territory government is making a big mistake by introducing the Youth Justice Amendment Bill. Thank you very much for joining us this morning, Joel. Good morning, thanks. So let's start off by talking about what is this Youth Justice Amendment Bill? Yeah, so what's happening up in the Territory is last May, the Northern Territory Government changed its Youth Justice Act to urgently meet some of the recommendations from the Royal Commission. So to put this into perspective, the Commission, as we know, was um, began because of the horrific images that came out of the torture of, of Indigenous boys in the Dondale Detention Centre, exposed by Four Corners. So in May last year, um, the government uh, moved to meet some of the recommendations from that commission, and what they did was change some of the rules and, and um, definitions and banned isolation and excessive use of force and some restraints. But what's happened just in the last couple of weeks is that the government has wound back these protections, wound back these good amendments, and replaced them with amendments that really take us back to the dark days of the old Dondale. 
they're winding back protections from the Commission. Uh, they're allowing for some use of isolation. They're reintroducing restraints. We know that there's already handcuffs back in Dondale um, and also some use of force as well. So just to clarify, so they actually went forward in terms of progress and they took on some of these recommendations and then they've since gone backwards again. Is that... That's right. Yeah. So May last year they they announced some really good um, amendments, the real progress made in the Northern Territory. They were the first jurisdiction in Australia to outright ban isolation as a behaviour management um, technique so you could no longer uh, put kids you know, isolation and will separate them from the rest of the general population as a behaviour management technique. But these um, amendments that we see being rushed through the Legislative Assembly mm. uh, take them back to the to, to the bad days of what it was like when kids like Bill and Bola were tortured in Dondale. I mean, this seems like quite an obvious thing that no one should be put into isolation. That's not healthy for anyone, let alone children. Exactly right, and that's what we see in international law as well. So international law expressly prohibits isolation. So if we look at the, the Mandela rules, the international rules around the treatment of prisoners, if we look at the Havana rules, the, the rules around the treatment of juveniles, oh, and even the Convention on the Rights of the Child, so the key human rights treaty around, um, around children, um, they all expressly prohibit isolation for kids. Because the international research shows that isolation is particularly bad for kids' mental health. Mm. And it also really exacerbates the criminalisation, the criminalising factors that already exist in prison. So we always hear of prisons be called the University of Crime. It's because mm. your brain is going through this huge amount of stress, which isn't, letting, which isn't letting it grow and expand the way it normally would, especially for kids. So if we're exacerbating that by putting them in a cell by themselves for up to 22 hours in a day, that's obviously going to make things much worse. And so if we know that these changes don't meet, meet a number of international standards, how can the government justify its decision and how, how has it? Let's start off with that. What, 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 what are the government's justifications for these changes? Yeah, so, so what the government is saying is that they need to uh, better... So, so what they're doing is they've reintroduced... They've, re, they've redefined these terms and they're redefining them in a way that lets them um, say that they need to create good order in the centre. So what they're saying is that when uh, a, a child in prison mucks up or when a child um, poses a threat to themselves, possibly, or someone else, that this is when they need to use these things to um, de-escalate the situation. So rather than training staff up to better de-escalate their situations and how to work with kids one-on-one, and get them into a state where they're able to talk and, and reason, they're just going to throw them into an isolation cell or they're going to throw handcuffs on them um, rather than working with these kids as human beings and, and working through it the right way. And it's such a contradiction, that whole idea that we're going to protect children by using force, by putting them into isolation, things that are harmful, as a means of helping them or defending them against self-harm. You know, that's such a bizarre contradiction. Exactly right. And, and you're definitely right. That's a contra- contradiction. And what it is, is the easy way out. Rather than um, looking at international best practice, rather than uh, sticking to the recommendations of the Royal Commission, they're taking the easy path, which is 
if a kid is mucking up, you can put them in handcuffs and take them to another part of the centre where they aren't going to be as much of a nuisance. Mm. This is obviously a terrible way to look at everything just logically. But when we're talking about kids who are already extremely vulnerable, they're, they're, they're in a stressful situation and now we're putting them through this as well. It's really horrific. And so, Joel, what have been the responses outside of the government? I mean, we know Amnesty's obviously called attention to it. Has this been um, something that other other organisations, other lawyers, other other people have been talking about? Definitely, yeah. So another really bad part of this whole um, amendment to the Act is that it came out of nowhere. The sector, us, other human rights organisations, the Indigenous uh, organisations on the ground, um, APON, which is the peak organisation for Aboriginal organisations in the Northern Territory, the Aboriginal Health Services, the Aboriginal Legal Services. We're all shocked, we're all confused, we're extremely disappointed that that's been rushed through like this. Um, and all the minimum that we're asking for is that at least Indigenous organisations and Indigenous leaders are consulted on uh, issues like this when they want to rush legislation through Parliament. Indigenous leaders yeah. already have the solutions on how to work with these kids. And that, again, that was a key finding of the Royal Commission, is that we need to listen to Indigenous leaders, leaders and Indigenous communities um, to find the solution to um, help these kids and get them back into community and thriving. Absolutely. I mean, given the stats on 100% of children in the Northern Territory being Indigenous, it seems like an absolute obvious point that Indigenous communities, elders, organisations should be consulted and should be driving the responses to some exactly of these right. things instead of these rushed through reforms as you, as you speak of. Exactly right. And we have the legal services and health services and a whole lot of different organisations up in the territory um, led by Indigenous people who know what they're talking about. Um, and if they have access and are able to work with these kids and if, they, if their advice is taken on... Um, Indigenous-led solutions and, and how to work better with these kids, I think we're going to be seeing a, a lot more results, a lot better results. And so, Joel, we're just about out of time, but just on that point, how can our listeners connect with this issue and perhaps link in with some of these services that are talking about actual solutions? What, what are the ways that we can engage? Yeah, so unfortunately, this bill has passed, which is a real shame. But what we do know is that um, coming out of the Royal Commission, the government did commit to three waves of reform. Now, this reform, this this bill came out of nowhere, and the sector wasn't really expecting it, um, and that is a shame on the government's behalf. But we do know that later this year, another bill will be reintroduced into Parliament um, to uh, accept most of the recommendations, recommendations of the Royal Commission, and we're looking at that as the opportunity to wind back again these harmful amendments. So we need people talking to their local members of parliament and the territory, putting pressure on them to um, to stand up for these kids in Dondale and Alice Springs Detention Centre as well um, and make sure that these harmful wind-backs um, are, are taken out of the, the way going forward. And Joel, do you know what the name is? To, yeah. What, well, sorry, you what was the name of the... Beautiful, thank you. And just just quickly, do you know what the name of that upcoming bill is called? Um, it will be a youth justice amendment bill. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that and we'll share the link as well. Great. Thank you so much for your time today.
Great. Thanks for having me. Cheers. We're almost running out of time, but I just wanted to quickly um, uh, talk about this fundraiser that's happening tomorrow for the Jaborong Embassy at the Gaswa. Um, so the fundraiser is raising important money to support the legal fees involved in defending 800 years plus old sacred trees and sacred country down on Jaborong country. It's happening tomorrow at the Gaso, 7 p.m. onwards. Great artists. So see you there. Out of the sky. <laughs> Very excited. Thanks, Anya. And thanks to all of our guests today. It's been a great show. And see you next week. Yes. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.